of Friendship Centers and the Vancouver Aboriginal Friendship Center present the 12th Annual Gathering Our Voices Youth Conference from March 18th to the 21st at the Hyatt Regency and Fairmont Hotel held on the traditional territory of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Gathering Our Voices is expected to bring up to 2,000 Aboriginal youth to network, attend workshops, enjoy performances and cultural activities, and explore the career and education fair and participate in sports and recreational activities. Register today and go online to gatheringourvoices.bcaafc.com and follow Gathering Our Voices at gov underscore conference and see you March 18th to the 21st. Hi, I'm Gennaro O'Sullivan. And I'm Woody Morrison. Join us every Monday from 1 to 2.30 p.m. On When Spirit Whispers, the First Nations program. We cover truth and reconciliation. Art, music, politics, current and cultural events. Give us a call, 604-684-7561. Don't forget to join us every Monday from 1 to 2.30 p.m. on When Spirit Whispers. This is Deer Hunting Song. Snoev, Tuesdays 1 to 2 p.m., a program celebrating First Nations languages and cultural topics, including history, poetry, music, and spirituality. Snowayath Broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio from the unceded Coast Salish Territory every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. and syndicated on UBC CITR 101.9 FM Wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m.
Hi, welcome to the Arts Report for March 19th, 2014. Tonight on the show, we have Chris Evans to talk about the Brave New Playwrights Festival. James Connell will report back on the Vancouver International Dance Festival, and I'll tell you all about the hot new play Helen Lawrence at the Stanley Alliance Theatre. Then stay tuned at 6 p.m. for our final episode of Blank Verse. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We've got a busy show, and I've got two guests, so I'm excited to introduce them in a second. But I just played the Stooges Search and Destroy because Scott Ashton, the drummer, died this last weekend on the 15th of March. Um, and I just wanted to relay a funny story. Um, Kurt Dahl from the New Pornographers posted on Facebook um, an interesting story about how he used to live in a dingy apartment in the West End, and he heard some kerfuffle. I guess one day he was at home with his young son in the hallway, and it turned out that Jeff Wall, the famous Vancouver artist, his assistant lived in the building, and Jeff Wall had a gig shooting an album cover for Iggy Pop, so he heard a kerfuffle in the hall and looked out, and it was Iggy Pop in the hallway. And he was like, oh, my God, and he got pictures taken with his son. So I guess it would have been about 20 years ago. Um, between 15 and 20 years ago. So I enjoyed hearing that story and rest in peace, Scott Ashton. So I've got actually two guests in the studio to talk about the Brave New Playwrights Festival. And that is Chris Evans. Hello. And Justin Neal. Okay. Welcome. Good to be here. Thanks and for coming in on short notice. And tell us when the festival is. Oh, okay. Um, I'll do that. Um, since I'm sort of uh, in the role of associate producer, um, that it's running uh, begins next uh, Wednesday, the 26th, so a week from today, um, and it runs until the 30th. There are two different programs. There's uh, program one is uh, is a set of uh, six different shows, and then that runs Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday at two. And then program number two is on Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. All those shows are at 7.30. And um, you can get all the programming online at bravenew.ca, and that's a full website with tickets and um, what the shows are. There's 12 shows in total, and uh, productions, that is, including the um, stage readings, which is Saturday mornings from 1 Oh, there's one. There's a program one at one o'clock on Saturday, and then another one at three o'clock on Saturday, and those are another nine shows. So they kind of have a unique format. These productions, or if you go, you'll have a unique format. What is that exactly? Um, well, that you get to see a lot of different theater, um, and it's not all done in one night. So, um, but really, the format will be just dependent on the the shows themselves it's variety there's one chris's show is great because it's on it's in they actually constructed a a boat i'm pretty excited about the boat it's pretty awesome so if you go it's like two hours long and you might see four short segments within that two hours it'll be six six short plays and roughly two two and a half hours excellent yeah and they're usually there should be about 15 minutes for each piece it's a they're all specifically written for that format, so not you know they're not excerpts from longer pieces. Um, they're all just specifically ten to fifteen minute short plays. And so this is sort of a production of the UBC Creative Writing School and the Theater School, like a collaboration. Right. So twenty eight years of uh, this program, which is which was started by Brian Wade in nineteen eighty seven, was the first year. He's the um, He's a playwriting chair or uh, professor over in the creative writing department. So he's been with it. And then um, a few years ago, it uh, was a co-production, became a co-production between uh, Department of Theater and Film and Creative Writing. So now it's a joint a joint thing. So we work with um, Tom Schulte, and uh, he he's the professor over in theater who um, all the directing students... Um, are in his class and all the writing students are in Brian Wade's class or two different classes, either BFA or MFA students. And, uh, and then the actors are pretty much, most of them are in the theater department. Um, there are some uh, actors from the community as well, which is great. 
So it has a nice mix of the school and the community, and uh, so that's that's kind of a nice thing. Excellent. So, Chris, are you a student in the creative writing program? I I'm a BFA, and I'll be an MFA next year. Right on. So you got the, accepted? I did. Just nice. When did your yeah. letter come? Uh, it was about three weeks ago. Nice. Yeah, that's so, a good feeling. Yeah. The creative writing department is great because it's nice and small, so um, they process things quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's hard to get into, I hear. Yeah, it is. Yeah pretty excited about it yeah um yeah one of the big benefits of the program is that you have to work in a number of different genres and i probably wouldn't have approached doing radio play or stage play on my own um but with a little bit of a push it's turned out to be really beneficial so yeah i'm really excited about it so this will be the first time i've ever had anything produced for stage wow yeah it's very exciting and i got to i was lucky enough to sit in um with a rehearsal for my play it's called drifting uh with the director jamie king um, and it stars um, or features Simon McIntyre and Taylor Scott in the two roles. And I was lucky enough to sit in on her rehearsal the other day, and it was really, uh, really promising, actually. They've taken it um, in a slightly different direction, parts of it, than I had in- initially intended, and it looks better than what I'd written. So I'm pretty happy with it. Wow. How yeah. does it feel to hear it come to life? Uh, it's really exciting. I mean, you feel a bit um, helpless because once you've written it, you slide it across the desk and it's kind of out of your hands. You don't get to jump in and edit things, which is hard because most people in the writing program are, I would say, control freaks to a certain <laughs> extent. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, it's hard to give up that level of control, but uh, you just have to have faith in the people that are doing your work. And, and um, I, I sat through the I went through the festival last year and I really enjoyed I would say all of the productions, and I feel confident about this one as well. So it feels pretty good. I like the premise of your play. Thanks. Yeah. I like Victoria. So it's set. It's set in the Georgia Strait, okay. adrift, adrift in the Georgia Strait. So um, again, I was lucky because they've built um, a small mock-up of a boat. Um, well, it's basically a small boat for the for the set, uh, which is where all the action takes place. Um, and it concerns a couple whose marriage is on the rocks, if you. Well, and um, so the you sort of see their marriage breaking down as the boat begins to sink. So it's very heavy. <laughs> a little bit of comedy thrown in there. But yeah, so it's sure. mostly kind of melodramatic? Um, no, I try to stay away from melodrama. I do let myself a little, have a little bit of melodrama. But it's sort of told through direct address, uh, between a direct address to the audience and then conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. So I try to get a healthy mix of some dark comedy in there as well, so you don't want to hurt yourself after you watch it. But, um, yeah, there's there's the dramatic element for sure. I don't even know what melodrama really is. Uh, it's like over the top. Think uh, think any 80s, um, think any 80s, like, primetime television show. Okay. Yeah. What is soap opera, soap really? Opera. Right. Yeah. Isn't there, like, kind of older films, like 50s and 60s? Like, I remember seeing one with Rock Hudson, and someone said, oh, this is a melodrama. And it was like a serious film. It was really, really good. Yeah. All the emotions are big emotions. And, yeah. And in the 50s, all the, um, most of the people who were in film came from a stage background. Right. And they still approached film as though it was staged. So the gestures are big. and mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's where that probably came from is that these were, you know, you're, you're um, trying to uh, communicate to so many people on stage. But when you try to translate that to film... You know, it looks ridiculous because you're you're gesturing too much, you're saying too much. So I think that's kind of where that older style, before they had really perfected what acting for um, film and television right. was. Oh yeah. wow! So, like, how does the arc of the story work? This couple in trouble and the boat sinking in just a fifteen-minute well section. What I was trying to do is have sort of a crossover. So in the initially. Um, Veronica, the female role, comes off quite harsh and cold, uh, which creates sympathy for Robert, her her husband. And then as the play progresses, you start to find out why she is as cold and distant with him as she is, and that sympathy starts to cross over, where you become more sympathetic with her and less so with him. So, yeah, it's a lot to pack in in a short time. Um you won't give it away. I'm not going to give it okay. away. So I want everybody to go and see it. There's, there's, um, I'm in the second program with five other great plays. Um, and again, that's uh, Thursday and Saturday and Sunday nights all at 7.30. Good. So yeah, it's really Excellent. exciting. And you have a show in there as well? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, mine is uh, What's New, which is on the first program. So you have to come to both nights because you have to see Chris's. You have to see mine. Um, you just have to. Uh, no, it's, um, yeah, it's it's weird. It's really weird. Um, it's, That's intriguing. Yeah, it's. I hear there's some heavy language. There's heavy language. There's heavy drug use. There, can we say that? Yeah. We're going to. Yeah. Um, and there's. It's fictional drug use. It's all. Well, it better be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it takes place in a bar. So, um, you know, I've. I've Is this the Waiting for Godot one? Yeah. It's a little bit of a. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're not necessarily waiting for somebody per se, like literally, like that play is. But in a lot of ways, um, there's that sense of it, which is not what I meant to do when I wrote it. That wasn't where I was coming from. Or at least I don't, I didn't, um, I didn't mean for that to really come out. I just sort of wrote it and then getting the feedback. And then now being able, the, the beauty of this process um, is just to sort of, you hear it on, you hear it in your mind and then you're able to, um, have other actors or, or playwrights read it, and that gives you kind of a half a sense. And then, but once the actors, you actually have actors reading it, you really get, oh, this is kind of it. It becomes like more multi-layered than you might have really expected. Um, and I'm really, I'm looking forward to Chris's piece too, because I've just, I only remember hearing it when he first wrote it, and it's um, his and mine probably couldn't be more different in that in their language. Um, you know, he's a he's a novelist writer, fiction, a fiction yeah. writer, um, and and then and you can tell in his writing. Whereas um, that's not a genre that I'm currently working in. So mine's very, um, uh, you know, a lot of short dialogue. Bit. Well, that's not true either, but um, they are very different. So, but you, you, have, you have a full variety over the course of the festival. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. I, but they're both a little on the dark side, I would think. Yeah. yeah. So you haven't really given us that much of a sense of, you said it's weird, there's characters <laughs> at a bar. Can you give us a little more? Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yes. I th- it basically are two, there's a, there's a, uh, they're drinking buddies, the two guys. And it's, it's sort of, again, it's really hard to explain without kind of giving it away. But I think it's just, it's, it's, it's a snapshot into their lives um, and their buddy, the bartender. And, but it's not necessarily realistic how it plays out. So it, it's sort of a condenses time in a way that even though it's a 12-minute piece, it could be a 10-year, um, 10 years could have sort of elapsed. And it, it's hard to know. Oh, that's interesting. And, they, yeah, like they could be there 10 years later right. at the same bar. Right. Yeah. I've spent my fair share of time being a bar fly. Well, this is one of the beauty- it can be a depressing pastime. <laughs> well, this is one of the beautiful things about stage two is that there's always this, there's this built-in suspension of disbelief, right? So you can create tweaked versions of reality and in the realm of having it on stage, it's totally believable and viable. So I've seen that with a lot of, of uh, the plays that we've workshop is that um, most of them are real world based with a twist and part of it is an audience member as you buy into that twist, and that's part of what the enjoyment is, I think. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be... You, you know watching a play that you're not watching a documentary. So there's a little bit of built-in suspension of disbelief that works really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I like, I've been seeing more plays kind of lately since I've been doing this. And is it? would you say it's more of a trend? Like you said, your characters will talk to the audience or engage with the audience. Well, during it's, the play? it's certainly a trend within my work. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't have a big theater background. I've seen, um, I would say, relatively few plays to, to, in comparison to people that I'm in stage class with. Um, so I don't have a lot of experience with it myself. It's just what felt natural to yeah. me. Um, and like Justin was saying, I come from a more of a fiction writing background. So... Um, the there's like a confessional aspect that you could you know if you're writing fiction you could see people's thoughts mm-hmm. and in stage that's um, more difficult to do yeah so for me to be able to get some of those things that I wanted to get across across the best way to do it was have them sp- speak their thoughts to the audience directly right. 
Yeah. And then it's also telling because some of those things are things they're keeping from their partner. So it sort of tries to play on both levels. Yeah. Well, there's a few I've been looking at that are more like, you know, whether it's on that level, people talking to the audience, or even the way they set up, like there's a play going on. I might tell the listeners about it, uh, that it's about a parent-teacher interview. That's the play. And you actually go to the school. So from the time you park the car, go into the school, it's as if you're sort of immersed in in the experience. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah, I went there. I went to that show. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Between the sheets. Between the sheets. It was, it was in a classroom, and it was. Uh, it's a great show. Yeah. Should um, I go? Oh, oh, you haven't been? No. Oh, I would highly suggest it. Um, just to be in that environment, um, and then you're right on top of the two actors, and they they you know it takes a lot to pull that off, and they do a great job of it. Um, and uh, yeah, Pie Theaters the, is a production company on that one. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was I loved it. It's a good script. Acting's great. Um, it's well worth it. And that's that's very realistic though. That's not um, you know you're just a fly on the wall as an audience member. And I think that uh, your your question you you'd asked about sort of the format. I mean, it really there is not one. I think um, I don't see any kind of uh, trend anywhere i think um i think the plays that broadway or are going to do better financially have to kind of follow a conventional sort of sort of um uh, format or at least they believe they have to in order to get you know people to buy tickets and show up um but i think that a lot of the work that's done in this town a lot of the smaller theaters will do experimental things like that that's a conventional play but having it in a school is not very conventional site-specific it seems to be a big thing in vancouver actually mm-hmm. is a, a lot of site-specific work here yeah and and so do you chris writes fiction what kind of things do you like to write oh, I'm, I'm in on the mfa the joint playwriting of um creative writing and theater so um this is you know what i what i'd love to do um i'm also taking television writing and um and screen plays here as well. So I'm just kind of going at all the dramatic um, formats and live, you know, because I'm also a performer. I actually will have I have a show um, at the Fringe Festival in September. I'm going to do a one-man show, so I'm in the middle of kind of writing that and performing in it. So I have a background as an actor. We'll cover well. that for sure in September. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. Cool. So what do you guys like to do when you're not being super creative? Well, oh, he's a daddy. Yeah, I have a baby now. Yeah, so that changes that things. Takes, that takes some time. Yeah. Oh, two months, three? Four months. Four, mo- wow. four months. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get into the swing of how mm-hmm. that is. She's really amazing, and uh, finding time to work is challenging. They're so up s- a lot at night. They sleep weird hours. They sleep weird hours, it turns out. I was surprised to find this out, actually. I have no <laughs> idea, but um, it's, they're unpredictable. So... Um, but I, so I've become more adaptable in when I can work and how I work, and um, yeah, it's actually kind of paying off now. So yeah, I'm trying to I'm focusing my time. So the thing is, is when you're writing, you, you kind of want to be able to do that all the time. So mm-hmm. and especially now, the time is hard to come by. It's really what I want to do right now. So yeah, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. What yeah. about you? Do you have other interests outside of the arts? Oh boy, um, that's a good question because I really have. You know, I, I had a 15-year career out in the, the real world um, as well as do, doing sort of theater at night um, or on the side or whatever that might be. Um, to, so to be able to really just dive in, I mean, you know, helping produce this, um, you know, and then writing all the different things, I just, you know, I'm so kind of uh, enamored with what I'm doing right now that kind of this is front and center so i've had a couple of you know broken relationships that just you know because it's like when your focus is on the work like other things do tend to suffer and i think that's a luxury. they're like forget about it well i don't know if it was they were <laughs> Sorry, or I was. I no it's fine <laughs> um but it's you know it's like it's really i'm at that point where i've been wanting to really focus on uh this stuff for you know and it just took me forever to get back to school now that i'm here i'm just like yeah you know loving it so i yeah i don't have a life you know it's just the way it is now and i'm mm-hmm. totally into that well you get to that point in life where you really do want to dig down and not waste time and yeah. do what you love it sounds like you guys are both totally 
Yeah, and you, you have know. to be selfish with your time, yeah. too. Yeah. Like, you have to say no to people. Like, you have to not go out for a drink yeah. sometimes when you feel like writing something. So, uh, and that's hard to do, and it's hard for the people around you sometimes. Yeah, I that's think. a that leads me to a question is, like, what's your tips? Like, you know, as a writer, I think of myself as a writer, but I often kind of put it off or find it anxiety-provoking or whatever. What do you guys have in terms of tips for like process or getting down to it or do you have any personal things that you do that help you? Uh, well, yeah, discipline is just a big one. Like if you don't sit down in front of the computer or sit down with your notebook, nothing's going to happen, right? So you have to make time to make that happen, first of all. And even if you sit there and do nothing or just write the same five words over and over again, then you're still in the direction, starting in the direction you need to go. But if you don't make the time to actually sit down and do it, it's never going to happen for you. So you have to figure out what works for you. There's diff- Everyone's got different things. I have to write in the morning. Like, mm. that's my best time when I'm the least foggy, probably. So that's what works for me. So, yes, I know it's known people who have full-time, you know, 9-to-5 jobs who get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and put in an hour before work every day. I'm not prepared to do that. Right. Like, but uh, I'll get up That's what eight. I should do. But, yeah. 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 I mean, it does, it takes a, I mean, it's taken 38 years, really, 39 years to, like, figure out what how I did it. And I think classes really did help because they gave you a solid deadline. I was taking, uh, actually, so it wasn't that, it was longer ago than that. It was, uh, I started taking comedy writing classes at um, you, Upright Citizens Brigade in New York, and that was, like, you. I'm paying for this class, I'm with these people, I needed to just, like, come and you know I had to write and so having those sort of forcing yourself with deadlines worked for me and now I got I've gotten to the point where it's just part you know I'm I'm not a linear thinker so I have to kind of just sort of squeeze it in with um with the the things that I'm working on and I also have to write um my thing is I I have to write and be online because I have to research as I'm writing it so it's like oh they're going to say this line and mention this subject matter, like, wait, do I know what I'm talking about? And then I'll have to also research it. And so I kind of do it all at once. Um, I can't just like, okay, I'm going to sit and write and that's it because I have a hard time focusing. Do you ever find yourself like writing and suddenly you're like watching a YouTube video? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like what happened? Because there's a deceptive amount of research goes into (laughs) just writing fiction or writing stage. Like I wrote a radio play and it, took place in southern alberta and then i was like well what kind of trees do they have there i have no idea what the trees look like there so i looked that up and then i'm like well what kind of um where's where's there a movie theater where's the closest movie theater to this town oh what's what's showing in vancouver well, that looks good maybe i'll just read some reviews while i'm here and then right. it's like seven hours later and you're you're blacked out in front of your desk so this is what happens yeah it's challenging you have to control yourself right yeah like you know those blockers or whatever you can't go on the internet but that doesn't work you just have to find the discipline yeah yeah i talked to one writer who who had um he'd actually like jammed jammed a screwdriver into his computer like physically disabled part of his internet connection (laughs) and then went to a boat like a docked boat and sat in there and and did his and he's a successful novelist now so there you go well worked for him Yeah. yeah well great why don't you guys fill us in just repeat again the times and the shows and programming for us um sure there's so there's two programs uh program run one runs uh wednesday and friday uh the 26th and 30th no the 26th and 28th at 7 30 p.m and then sunday at 2 30 p.m uh program two runs thursday saturday and sunday that's the 27th 29th and 30th all at 7 30 um tickets I just got excited about Iggy Pop. Okay, continue on. Okay, briefly. uh, Tickets are really inexpensive for what you get. So each program, which is six short plays, uh, it's ten dollars for students, fifteen dollars for the general public, um, and they are available through the website, which is bravenew.ca. Yeah, that's really that's you know, um, that's the best place to get tickets. You can also find Brave New Playwrights, and it's four words brave new play and then the word rights r-i-t-e-s um on facebook 
but yeah, just go to bravedo.ca and that'll give you all the information about all the shows. There's over 70 uh, actors, directors, writers, tech folks, um, you know, all the people in the theater department. Uh, the te- there's tons of technical people who are working on it as well. So it's just a big production that you should see. It's going to be really fun. I'm so glad you guys came on and I really enjoyed our conversation. Chris Evans Thanks and Justin Neal, who looks like Dave Grohl. Yep, I you sure. get that a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I that's, that's a good thing. To, yeah. You know. <laughs> well, good luck in your careers. Hope to see you again. Let us know if you have other things coming up. Um, there's a show on at the Arts Club coming up. I think it starts tonight or tomorrow. It's about Leonard Cohen. So I'm going to give you more details on that, but we will be giving away tickets. So I'm just going to play a Leonard Cohen song and then we'll usher in James Connell to talk about the Vancouver International Dance Festival. I don't know. Do you like this song, Suzanne? Sure. Is that a hit? For Cohen, that's a hit. Yeah. Was it like a billboard hit? Uh, No. Okay. Okay. This is... (laughs) I'll just play it. I'm not a fan of Leonard Cohen, but... He seems grumpy. Yeah, he is kind of grumpy. Okay, we'll be back on CITR 101.9 FM. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river. You can hear the boats go by. You can spend the night beside her. And you know that she's half crazy. But that's why you want to be there And she feeds you tea and oranges That come all the way from China And just when you mean to tell her That you have no love to give her Then she gets you on her wavelength And she lets the river answer That you've always been her lover travel with her and you want to travel blind and you know that she will trust you for you've touched her perfect body with your mind and Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him He said all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them But he himself was broken long before the sky would open Forsaken Almost human He sank beneath your wisdom Like a stone And you want to travel with him And you want to travel blind And you think maybe you'll trust him For he's touched your perfect body With his mind Suzanne takes your hand and she leads you to the river She is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counters And the sun pours down like honey on Our Lady of the Harbor And she shows you where to look among the garbage and the flowers there Heroes in the seaweed There are children in the morning They are leaning out for love And they will lean that way forever While Suzanne holds the mirror And you want to travel with Okay, we're back on CRTR I can't listen to that anymore But I'll be giving away tickets to the Arts Club (laughs) 
show about Leonard Cohen. Our uh, arts reporter, Matt Granlin, is going tomorrow night, and he's going to review it for us next week. It's running for a while, but I will be giving away tickets if you stay tuned to our Twitter and Facebook. So, James, hello. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Good. It's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you. It's always nice to be here. Yeah. So, tell us what you have been doing. Oh, well, this weekend, um, I went to the Vancouver International Dance Festival, uh, which is a nice contemporary dance fest they have here in town. They've been doing it for a number of years. I think it was 14 or something they've had it on for. Anyway, I saw two pieces in the same night down at the Roundhouse Center. Uh, the first was uh, by Modus Operandi. It was called Structure Tone. Um, I don't know how much our listeners are familiar with contemporary dance, but I wasn't very familiar with contemporary dance before <laughs> I went. And um, what I was familiar with <laughs> wasn't... Didn't leave me with a good taste in my mouth. So I, I, I'm not going to lie. I walked into these things really skeptical, <laughs> but open-minded, like wanting to change my perception of the art, right? Because it is an art. And I don't think a whole category of art can really um, have the, have the be what I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I was pleasantly surprised by both of these pieces which completely changed my view of contemporary dance. Really? Absolutely. Structured tone um, was colorful. It was vibrant. It was fun. There was 12 youthful dancers on stage. Um, it was kind of all about how society puts pressure on the individual, but how the individual maintains um, a sense of uniqueness, uh, even in a swarm of others. Um it was all facial expressions. It was, it, like, absolutely absurd facial expressions. Um, and they'd all kind of move as a pack in one direction, and one person would step out of line and kind of do a little something off on the side, and the others would swarm around them to, to kind of hide them. Or another person would start to do an interesting movement over here, and a couple of them would see this movement and start to copy it, and then the others would come. And, and uh, there was one scene where this young man was up on a chair in the middle of them and, and he was it was like he was being thrown around around by waves but he was in this crowd and they're all kind of reaching trying to pull him down and stuff anyway it was so much fun <clears throat> we, like the audience was in stitches laughing some of these dancers facial expressions were just priceless um, yeah it's the first time I've ever seen laughter at a contemporary dance piece what kind of music was it oh it was oh um Good question, because it was so good. It was like trip hop, but dancey trip hop. I was gonna say it, it, it's got to have been the music must be a huge part of it in terms of setting the tone. There's nothing else to set the tone. Exactly, yeah. And um, I, I, I found in the past a lot of the pieces I've seen haven't had music really. It's mostly just sounds. You know, there's, there's no real melody. But this was you know foot tapping, kind of um, verve remix jazz but no lyrics and very very um bassy and instrumental is really good yeah one thing i was kind of thinking as I, i'm starting to go to things for the dance festival is like how long is it like if it's a play people talk right you, you can pay attention for a longer time like how the, long was it this was a free show um and it went from seven till about seven twenty. it wasn't that long okay just a short yeah yeah, because um, they were making way for the feature that day, which is um, was by Kokoro, um, and was <laughs> in a completely different vein. It was called, and you can't hear that I mean, on the radio, called... ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sorry, it's like Prince. <laughs> it's yeah, it, it's called <laughs> that, <laughs> which oh! is really just two brackets. <laughs> that makes me so mad. I don't like it. Which you can understand why coming into it as a bit skeptical. Like, okay, I got to do a radio review on. So, <laughs> <laughs> but okay, in all seriousness, this was the most haunting, disturbing piece of performance I've, I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, it was the two dancers in it were in their 60s and both of them were painted white like corpses. Um, this, this stage opened or the scene opened to, um, the woman in this long red dress of different textures and lengths kind of cut up a kind of uniform, um, just convulsing in grief in one corner. And, uh, her husband is a corpse on the ground surrounded by earth. Um, the entire dance was done to, uh, Sigur Ross, 
which is in itself, you know. Is it like Nor Norwegian metal? It's they're Icelandic and they kind of make up their own language. Have you ever seen The Life Aquatic? Yeah, but not for a long time. Okay, there's that beautiful scene at the very end when they see the tiger shark and that song is playing. That's Sigur Ross. So hmm. it's very um, oh, it's hard to describe, but very emotional and very very powerful. But um, this woman then proceeds to bury her husband in the dirt that's on stage and you're it's it's an intimate enough venue that you can smell the earth as she's doing this right it's primal yeah and um it it was just it was just so much grief it It was was like (laughs) 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 yeah no words no words it was it was this um so she buries her husband, which takes a good 20 minutes. I mean, this is, this is slow moving, very, very slow moving. And, um, and then her husband comes out of the grave. He's resurrected, which he did so slowly and so uniformly that you couldn't even, you couldn't see him moving, but you knew he was lying down before and he was sitting up now. So there must have been some movement there. Um, and it was so, so evocative. I, I, I was physically sick. And for the rest of the performance, I didn't, I found myself avoiding looking at him because I was, I thought he was a corpse. I didn't, I didn't want to see him. <laughs> um, but so the two of them dance for the rest of the performance, for the rest of the piece, but they never, um, they never interact directly. It's as if he's in an afterlife and and she's in the present, and um, it was so it was so sad because you could tell that all this grief has come from this really really profound love that they'd shared, and um, yeah, and at the end, like I, I walked out of there physically ill from just it, it was so effective and um, yeah, but that being said. <laughs> Like all contemporary dance pieces, it was a good 20 minutes too long. Right. <laughs> right. So it sounds like they did an amazing job of bringing up emotions like... Yeah. That you had had such a huge impact on you. Yeah. And and that's the thing with this, um, this type of dance is it's not... You're not really supposed to enjoy it. And I don't think any... <laughs> I don't think any of us were supposed to walk out of there, you know, having thought that we had a lovely time that evening. Yeah. But... um. Whatever they were trying to convey, they did it very, very well. And um, I spoke to a couple of people afterwards about um, the two of them. They were the choreographers as well. And they study a very, very strange type of Buddhism. that, um, And they have a very... Uh, I don't know how to describe it in the way that the person I've spoken to said. But um, what, what I felt was what they were trying to convey, it mm. turns out, in the end. And uh, yeah, it was, it was so, so they were Buddhists, the dancers. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting because they their view on death is very you know reincarnation. When you die, you just go to a new plane. You're just shifting kind of vehicles. Exactly, and that was that was reflected. Um, that was reflected in the movement and in the disconnect between the two, but both of them being. Mm-hmm. in the same room on the same stage mm-hmm. and there was times when they danced very very close together but they never looked at each other there right. was never and or their backs were together or one of them was facing just off a little bit you know their body language wasn't synchronized right um but uh yeah it was it sounds like the content like how often do we really face those things head on unless we're really into it like unless someone actually dies and we have to go through that process so here you're sort of confronted with the process of death and burial and no wonder it brings up a lot of deep emotion and it's something that's like there's it's sort of like it's the great equalizer so everyone's affected by it must get everyone thinking about losses they've had or their own impending death hurtling towards death And I think that was a huge part of it was it moved so slowly that you were allowed all this time to Mm self-reflect. And um, I I haven't experienced a lot of death, but um, yeah, I found myself 
thinking of all thinking of my mortality thinking of my family um <laughs> you know and just because i mean let's be honest if you get bored right like human <laughs> you can have the best intentions but you know after 45 minutes of slow moving dance your mind's racing and it's somewhere else right mm-hmm. um but what you're thinking of is still being affected by what's happening in front of you. And I think that was a huge, huge part of why it was so effective was, um, yeah, the, the, the space it gave for contemplation. Awesome. <laughs> but it was too loud. It was too loud. It was so loud, Sarah. <laughs> and Sigurd their songs are all, they always come to very, very powerful climaxes that last a long time and i and, and there was about five times throughout the show i just had to plug my ears and you know artists out there if you're listening i know you want to make an impact on your audience but our health and well-being is far more important <laughs> so turn your bloody music down oh my god <laughs> i went to we had a cbc uh host and um woman here lisa christensen who gave us a great workshop for CITR members about doing interviews and spoken word. Did you go? No, no, no. But she gave us examples of like the best interview ever and the worst interview ever. So the best interview ever was like this CBC host. um, I guess someone had been attacked by a beaver. So he he had the guy on the radio and asked him like this brilliant line of questioning about the beaver. So so we listened to that. I was like, okay, great interview. And then it was like the world's worst interview was with Sigur Ross. And it's a YouTube video. You can watch it. And it's like the interviewer just completely fails. They're just sitting there like it was sort of a mutual failure to connect oh, and no. it was just like cringeworthy. So you could probably just, I think you could just Google like <laughs> world's worst interview, Sigur Ross and it'll come up. So, and it's, they're very eighties kind of outfits. I don't imagine, I don't know anything about them other than their music, but I don't imagine they'd be much help in that situation. They were just, they, they don't suffer fools gladly. I think was like their part of it. And then they just weren't giving the interviewer anything. Like, oh, no. Yeah, it was, it was cringeworthy. We should play some public service announcements. And then we'll be back yeah. with James Connell to talk about the Vancouver International Dance Festival. Stay tuned. How much do you know about bikes? Everything? Perfect. Nothing at all? Even better. At the UBC Bike Kitchen, you can use our space and tools to do your own bike maintenance, get one-on-one instruction on how to fix your bike yourself, or drop your bike off for us to repair. You can also buy a fully refurbished, guaranteed used bicycle, or a variety of new and used parts and accessories. The Bike Kitchen is UBC's non-profit, student-owned, full-service bike shop. We're located in the basement of the Student Union Building, just look for the stairwell on the north side of the sub across from Gage Towers or search for the UBC Bike Kitchen on Facebook. Stop by the Bike Kitchen and then get riding. I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner. I was a prisoner, was a prisoner of cocaine. cocaine addiction. Cocaine took my drink. My drink. It made me lie. Lie. Steal. Cocaine took my will, my soul. And all I wanted was more cocaine. More cocaine. Cocaine Anonymous gave me freedom and saved my life. If you got a problem with cocaine, pick up the phone. We're here to help. Contact Cocaine Anonymous toll-free by calling 866-662-8300 or find them online at ca-bc.ca. Hi, we're back on the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. I'm Sarah Lapsley here with James Connell, and we're talking about the Vancouver International Dance Festival. So there's some performances on the next couple of days. So the 19th and 20th, there's Dancers Dancing. <laughs> dancers, <laughs> don't laugh. I should hope so. There's Dancers, there's, they are Dancers Dancing. Um, they're from Vancouver. Um, ephemeral and sometimes transformative movement 
interwoven with the music of Patrick Pennefather and video by Flick Harrison. He's my friend and he's been a guest on the show. Oh. Um, so it should be good. Known for their passion and technical excellence. And their dancing. And their dance and their and their dancers dancing. <laughs> Who else is there? Um Michael Sakamoto and Rennie Harris. So these are both on the 19th and 20th at the Roundhouse. A conversation and movement between two remarkable artists. Their show is called Flash. Michael Sam- Sakamoto is a transdisciplinary creator known for his innovative and philosophical approach to Buto. What's Buto? Is it like a kind of world dance? That sounds like what um, the two from Kokoro do. Maybe. I think that was the same thing, yeah. I don't know what that is. I'm going to have to Google it. But Uh-oh. there's sort of hip-hop, buto, um, and looks fun. Then on the 21st and 22nd, we have the 605 Collective. They're doing fusing urban moves with contemporary dance. Critical acclaim. Sounds like they've been getting a lot of audience attention throughout North America. And also on the 21st and 22nd is Yuki Kawaguchi and Aki Takase. Where are they? Fast flowing traffic, flashing lights, and a steady stream of people. Stand still. Um, And I guess it's about city mirroring rhythms, mirroring kind of urban rhythms under a micro magnifying glass creating a new utopian city and their interplay of choreography composition and improvisation looks a bit wild there's a giant piano with sort of a buddhist looking monk woman playing the piano and someone doing hyper splits hyper splits (laughs) you should probably check it out and that's the 21st and 22nd at the roundhouse now i am scheduled to go see where's his name Israel Galvan and I talked about it last week and I decided you know what I'm going to go he's a bold and virtuosic dance artist he kind of modernizes flamenco um, but he's a huge flamenco dancer in Spain with sort of a contemporary spin um, but he has the 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 traditional instruments so the cantor a singer and they clap as well as a guitar player but again I was wondering can he keep us engaged for you know, an hour and a half. Is it's it at the Vancouver Playhouse. Yeah, I think it is. Well, oh. they've got to because you're paying money to go to the Vancouver Playhouse. So, um, you know, they've got to keep you for a while. Now, I love Flamenco, but watching this little video of him, I, you know, he's hopefully going to win me over. But I'm going in a bit skeptical because I love Flamenco. I mean, the music and the rhythms are really incredible. But it's very much a group dance. And the women. The women. Like, women. Wh- how can how can there be no women? Like, maybe he'll have someone come on, but it doesn't seem like it. So he's all in black, just a dude alone on the stage. Right. And the women really get going with their skirts and their, you know. Yeah, they're the flair. Yeah, and together, right, when they dance together, it creates a lot of energy. So he has a big job, I yeah, think. Yeah, he's got to work. He's got to work it. And also, like, the more people on stage with flamenco, it's better because you get more polyrhythms and energy going. But I'm going to go because I like flamenco, and I think it's probably the one that I'm most interested in. Like you, I'm kind of skeptical of contemporary dance. I just don't want to take a chance. Yeah. <laughs> but don't listen to me. <laughs> Um, don't listen to me, listen to James, because it sounds like you actually had quite an incredible experience that you won't forget. I will never forget that for as long as I live. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, both of the shows that I saw completely, completely altered my perception of contemporary dance. And I will definitely be checking out the festival again next year. Is there anything you hope to see? Like for the rest of this festival, it's going on to the 29th. There's more events on the 28th and 29th. And actually we're hoping to have some guests in on the 28th and 29th from the dance festival, just to wrap up the last couple of days. Ooh, I'm going to have to take another look at the program. Mm -hmm. What is it? VIDF.ca? Yeah. Uh, just wanted to talk about a hot play that I'm going to see tonight. Um, it was sold out. I could barely get media tickets. So acclaimed visual artist Stan Douglas. Have you ever heard of Stan Douglas? He's part of the Vancouver School. So there are all these very, they grew up in the 
I guess they were in their t- mid-20s in the 70s. They're kind of part of the art punk scene here in Vancouver. And they all, quite a few of them became very famous and well off. Oh, okay. And they're called the Vancouver School. So he's one of them. Um, and he's gotten together with screenwriter Chris Haddock, who's worked on Da Vinci's Inquest uh, and a lot of other uh, TV and theater to bring you an intoxicating mixed media spectacle. And what's neat about it is it's set in 1948 Vancouver. Oh. It's sort of like a film noir kind of vibe, uh, Vancouver film noir. And you visit the vanished worlds of the old Hotel Vancouver, which used to be a veterans hospital. Really? In, during the war. Yeah. The one that stands still? The, you know, the one the, Hotel Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the same building that used to be a veterans yeah, hospital? in 1948. Yeah, And uh, Hogan's Alley, it's part of it set in Hogan's Alley, the city's hotspot for gambling and vice. So it's it's sort of like they have actors, but then they have a lot of film projection. So it's almost like as the actors are acting, they kind of turn it into a film, which they pr- project on a big screen in real time. Oh. So it's almost like they're on a green screen. Sort of, it's just like we'd be talking and acting, but we sort of see them, but what we see is a big projection on the screen of them. Like, I don't know, actually, I don't know how it's going to work. But there's a major buzz. Like, the Globe and Mail was like, this is the best, hey. most exciting theater. It's all sold out tonight. You're in for a treat. I'm in for a treat. I'm really excited. Um, and so... Yeah, there's if you go to artsclub.com, you can read all about it. And it's on for a while. It's running until April 13th, but you, it will probably sell out. So do um, get tickets. It's at the Stanley Alliance Theatre. Now, I'm just going to bring up the Leonard Cohen Show at the Firehall Arts Centre. And Matt Granlund is going tomorrow night to that and I want to give away tickets. So if you go to CITR underscore arts report or arts report underscore CITR Twitter handle, can't remember because I'm kind of not into Twitter or a Facebook page um, and message us, then we you can win these tickets. It's called Chelsea Hotel, the Songs of Leonard Cohen. So it started last night. It runs till March 29th. Um, and it's at 8 p.m. on on the weekdays, Saturdays, it's on at 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. So you have to check out firehallartscenters.ca for details. Um, so it looks like kind of a cabaret thing. Uh, and it's been on a sold-out national tour. So Len- Leonard Cohen's powerful and inspirational music is the heartbeat of the Chelsea Hotel. As six performers play 17 different instruments in a rollicking tribute to the remarkable writer. Uh so I don't know. What do you think of Leonard Cohen? Um, never really gotten into him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just. I don't know. I kind of. He kind of bugs me. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't really have a good reason. <laughs> I mean, if he came here, if he was in the studio, I'd uh, be like, oh my god. But I wouldn't know him if I ran into him at the supermarket. You wouldn't. No. So I'm had, awful with celebrities. Yeah. No. no Except for, for Brent um, Everett. Everett. <laughs> <laughs> Which will leave the <laughs> listeners. You can look that one up on your own. <laughs> so, um, and I'll be putting this out on our social media as well, so you can claim tickets. But if you like Leonard Cohen, you'll definitely want to see it because it's been popular and a really nice way to hear Leonard Cohen's music. Like someone here wrote, um, this show is absolutely beautiful and flawless. The whole cast kept me captivated the entire time. Uh, other people said, I I love this show, um, multi-talented, true, mesmerized, love the story, music, and production. So check that out. Well, we should sign off, but stick around after 6 p.m. for our final episode of Blank Verse. They've been doing great radio plays about kind of Shakespeare reimagined, and we'll be missing that, but we're going to have some exciting new programming coming on every other week at 6 p.m. But I wanted to play a song by a band. Not sure exactly what song to play, um, but I was really sad to hear at South by Southwest, the big music festival in Austin, Texas, there was an accident, a drunk driver running from the police drove through a barrier and killed two um, music people from the festival and injured 23 others. And uh, it was very traumatic for everyone involved. And the driver um, 
is now up for the death penalty. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but they were when it first happened, the authorities were talking about it's Texas, right? The death penalty, two people died. They were talking about charging him with a capital offense. So he probably, you know, whatever happens with that process. But um, at the time, the punk band from LAX was playing. So I just wanted to make a shout out to those who were affected by that incident and to the band X. So this is Nausea from X. We'll see you next week on March 26th on the Arts Report. This is